Welcome to our podcast. This is David King. I want to take just a second and thank you for joining us. Enjoy the message. All right, good morning, Shiloh. How is everybody this morning? This is a great-looking group. Man, praise God. And I, I promise you I will not say that to the second service. It's just you guys. But no, we want to take a second. We want to look into the camera, and we want to welcome those of you who may be watching at home as part of our our online campus at Shiloh Outreach. You ladies at the Claiborne County Detention Center, a big welcome to you this morning. We love you. We're so glad that you're part of our family. And we would normally say hello to that, that wild bunch over in Tazewell, but Pastor David is over there with that crew this morning. But we are one church wherever you are, so if we can, just come together and give God a big collective round of praise. Amen. For those of you who might not know me, my name is Chris Stotts. My wife Katie and I are worship leaders here at Shiloh. Uh, we have an amazing little eight-year-old boy running around named Eli and a beautiful three-month-old brand-new baby girl back there. She's gorgeous. Her name is Blair. So we're, we're so blessed to be a part of the Shiloh family and be a part of what God is doing here. And I can't believe it because this time last year, I said these same words, but here we are getting ready to turn the corner into September and my favorite time of the year, fall. Where are my fall people at up there? Yeah, there you go. You summer folks, I, I think you're praying harder than us fall people, though, because I, have you seen the forecast for next week? It's like we got a heat wave coming. But I love this upcoming time of year. Give me all things pumpkin. Give me some flannel and football, and I'm a happy camper. So not only is it the most exciting time of year for me, but it's an exciting time of year here for Shiloh Church because we've got so many neat things going on. Last week, we launched our small groups. And if you've not linked up with a small group and signed up for one of those, I can't encourage you enough to do that. Just jump in on one and be a part of one. And my wife and I are leading one this semester called Sweet Jesus, where all we do every other Sunday, we'll get together with some people, and we just eat dessert and drink coffee. Come on, somebody, right? Yeah. I mean, taste and see that the Lord is good, you know. It is, uh, I warn you, though, it is a high-calorie, low-impact small group. So if that's not up your alley, you know, I'll steer you some, somewhere else. But, no, we're looking forward to that. And today we are launching a new sermon series that I'm so very excited about called My Church. And I get the honor of, of bringing the first installment of that. And I'm so pumped for this because this is one of those messages that, that is truly life changing. It can be truly transformative for you in your life as a believer. So for this sermon series, we're, we're working off of this scripture from Matthew 16 that says, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not overcome it. Now this is Jesus talking to Peter with this statement here. And I like to think that when Jesus is telling Peter this, that he's got a little bit of an attitude with it. And he just doesn't come off you know, passive. But Jesus comes off and says, I will build my church, and there's nothing that hell is going to do anything about it. And I want to be a part of that church. Amen? So we're in this sermon series talking about my church and what that looks like. And, and I've learned that when you begin talking to people about church, you know, that's a conversation that can stir up a whole lot of emotions, you know, a lot of different emotions, right? Because unfortunately, we find that there's so many people, and maybe, maybe even in this room or watching at home today, there's been so many people who over the years have been, have been hurt and have had terrible experiences through 
the system that we call church. And because of those experiences, those experiences have colored their perspective and their approach to God. And that's so unfortunate and so sad. And when we look at that perspective, we see that, that churches have become really, really good at trying to sell you their approach. Right? They try to sell you their approach to get to God and how they think that you should approach God. And the sad part about that is that so many of those approaches are grounded in, in religion and shame and being judgmental. And it comes with a finger point and a finger wag. And, uh, and that's just not the way that God intended for it to be. And the reality is that there is one true approach to God, and that's through Jesus. And that approach always results in life. So we're going to unpack some of that today. And I can't talk about this idea of what church looks like without thinking about a story um, of my dad when I was little. You know, growing up, my dad, I knew that he dealt with a lot of uh, anxiety and depression and some mental struggles. And we were part of a church growing up. And, uh, and there was one time in particular that, that, that dad was, he was just having a very rough night. He was having a tough time. He was going through a tough stretch. You ever had a tough stretch? So in this rough patch, Dad said, you know, I, just, I, need, somebody, I need somebody to believe with me. I need somebody to, to agree with me in prayer. And we had a preacher friend that lived down the road, a pastor. He, didn't, he wasn't the pastor of the church that we were attending, but, but Dad thought, you know, I'm going to go down there, and I'm just going to you know, see if he'll kind of lock arms with me. Have you ever had you know, the need just to, you know, somebody to link up with you in prayer and believe you through some things? So he goes down, hoping to, to have somebody to, you know, do that very thing. And he knocks on the door. And this pastor comes to the door. And my dad, you know, spills out everything. And he, he, he tells him what's going on and explains the situation. And instead of looking at my dad through the eyes of a loving father and seeing this broken believer and brother in Christ... This pastor friend looks at my dad and said, Mr. Stotts, I, I don't think you need to be church hopping and going to another preacher for help. I think you need to find your pastor and, and talk to him about this and leave me alone. And he closes the door in his face. And needless to say, my dad was done with church. You might be too, right? My dad checked out. And I'm sure... That like I said earlier, there's probably people in this very room or watching at home who've had similar experiences, or maybe even worse, and it's completely colored your perspective on how you approach God. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to unpack it a little bit, and to do that, we're going to use this, it's the second story that we find in the Bible, the story of the two trees, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And in this, we find that God gives us two very distinct approaches to him. And many people are familiar with the story of the, the, the two trees, but uh, few realize that there is a direct application for our life today in that. God not only presented those two trees to Adam and Eve in the garden as a choice, but he uses those two trees to set the example for us to show how he, he operates and how he exists. And it gives us this idea of what is going to be my approach 
to God? And that's the question that we ask ourselves today because the answer to that question will change everything. And I mean everything. So let's dig into this. We start in Genesis chapter 2. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. Trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So let's, let's stop right there for a second and let's check, kind of check our theology. At this point, many people believe that, that God in the middle of the garden created this sin tree and this God tree. And that's just that's not, not, it's not the case. Because at this point, sin wasn't even a concept. Sin was not even on Adam and Eve's radar. But we sometimes have that misconception that Adam and Eve picked the sin tree over the God tree. In reality, Eve didn't choose sin. She actually chose the wrong approach to become godly and becoming good through that knowledge of good and evil. And it goes on. It says, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. So we've got the first story of creation, second story of the two trees. God gives us a choice. And then immediately after that, like always, enter the devil. And it's always been the devil's job to make sure that you choose the wrong approach to God. So we see this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say, can you hear him saying that? Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The devil's primary mechanism is to get you to doubt the words that, have God, that God has spoken into and over your life. Because he knows that if he can do that, if he can bring that into question and cause you to doubt those words that God has spoken over your life, then you're ultimately going to doubt God in general. And then your, where's your faith left at that point? Right? So it keeps going and says, The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. Then the serpent comes back and says, You will not surely die. And the serpent said to the woman, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of them both were opened. So notice, the serpent didn't appeal to Eve's sin nature here. He didn't appeal to her. He didn't come and say, oh, come on, Eve, be a bad girl. Eat this, eat this apple. You know you want to. It'll make you cool. Come on, do it. No, he appealed instead to her desire to be godly. Right? He said, it will make you more like God. And his goal wasn't to tr try to get her to be bad. It was, it was to try to get her to be good the wrong way. That's pretty powerful, right? It wasn't his goal to get her to choose sin. It was to choose the wrong approach. So then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So that's the background and the theology behind it. And 
At the end of the day, when you always choose the wrong approach, it always results in shame, condemnation, and guilt, and that feeling like you have to hide yourself from God. So we're going to talk about four distinct differences between these two approaches, between the tree of the knowledge of good and evil approach and the tree of life approach. And I pray that God, God delivers this to your spirit this morning. So the first difference that we see in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, taking this approach, it's all about doing more to get God. Doing more. You feel like, I've got to go to church more. I've got to read my Bible more. I've got to serve more. I've got to pray more. I've got to give more. It's more, 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 do, do, do. And I, I can't do enough. And this has been the basis of religious thinking for so long that has kept people bound for so long. Because through this approach, you are never going to be able to do enough to get to God. Right? And, and me personally, I had this approach for a long time growing up in my teenage years. And, and some of it came from the church folks around me. You know, oh, you only read one chapter today? We got to up that. We got we to gotta bump those numbers up. Oh, you only prayed 15 minutes today? Oh, by the way, you missed last Wednesday's service. You're keeping track. It's all about what you do and what you don't do. And that colored my perspective of God for so long, and I saw him that way. I saw him saying, yes, I've got the ability to bless you, but you, might, you need to memorize that Lord's Prayer first. And I was living in, in that wrong tree. And, and the lie that people buy into is that they think that God's love for them and their life is is based and valued and determined by how much and what they do for him. And that can't be further from the truth. And that will always result in the feeling that you are not good enough. And then you end up feeling, well, what's the point? I'm never going to be able to reach that top-tier status because I'm trying and trying and trying, I'm doing and doing and doing, and it's just not ever good enough. But the tree of life on the other side of this coin the tree of life just says, receive what Jesus already did. You know, you don't, everything that you, that you have done or will do, Jesus took care of it. There is nothing that you can do to earn your salvation. That price has already been paid. And by the way, that price is too much for you to have paid. So it doesn't matter what you try to do or how much. You'll never be able to earn it. You can't work to any extent to get into heaven, to receive this free gift of life that, that God offers you. But we still get it wrong, especially in the church. And Jesus dealt with this all the time, especially with the religious Pharisees of the day. And we see in, in the book of John, Jesus is talking to these Pharisees, and he says, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life? No, these are the scriptures that testify about me. See? But yet you refuse to come to me to have life. And this whole time, those Pharisees, they thought, okay, if we study the scriptures and we memorize you know, these books of the Bible, then you know, we're, we're punching our ticket. And the whole time, Jesus is saying, look, these scriptures have pointed to me all along, and I am right here, and you are missing the boat. Right? So the second difference between these two trees and these two approaches is that through the tree of the knowledge of good and evil... If we take this approach, it's all about trying to get God's approval. And for so many people, 
We try to get God's approval because we feel like he is he's inherently mad at us. And he's this mean God that's just looking down. And I, 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 this, I can, this can be summed up in, in this comic that I found years ago. And I've got to explain this to you because it's kind of hard to see. This is God sitting at the big computer of heaven. And there's, there's me or you walking on the sidewalk with this piano hanging over their head. And God is getting ready to punch the smite button. Did you know that God had a smite button on his computer? It's just waiting for you to mess up so we can, bam, just hit you. And this was also my perspective of God growing up. You know, I just knew that God was sitting up there on high, just looking down at little you know, peon Chris, waiting to hit me with the giant fly swat of heaven, just bow, when I did something wrong. And that's not the case. And, and the truth is, I feel like our area is... It's the worst for this. And it's pushed so many people away. Growing up, I had the, I had the, the honor to sit under some very you know, wise men of God and some great teaching. And I had the, the blessing to be able to visit hundreds of churches over my lifetime. And I've been in some where there's been some finger pointing and some finger wagging and and some preachers that just, that they talk like they were born and raised in hell themselves. And, and don't get me wrong, we have to paint a very real picture of hell to a lost and dying world. Amen? However, we can't try to scare people into hell on one hand, and then do that by painting an inaccurate picture of a very loving father on the other hand we can't tell them that God is a tyrant and he's out to get you to try to scare them into hell that's just not the way that it works it's the wrong approach whereas the tree of life says we just have to receive God's love for me again we don't have to earn it he's not mad at us he's just there to give give it to us and this approach says that God already loves you in the middle of your sin. He knows what you've done. He knows what you're doing. And guess what? He knows what you're going to do. And in all of that, he still chose to love you. Let me put it this way. On the giant refrigerator of heaven, God hangs your coloring sheet. How many of you got some coloring sheets at home on the fridge? Yeah. You're the picture on his iPhone background, right? He loves you that much. And one of my favorite verses in the Bible comes out of Romans 5. He says, But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. You guys know this in most of you. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The third difference between these two approaches. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil approach will always focus on the external. And this approach says that that before we come to Jesus, before we come to God, we've got to clean ourselves up. We've got to get the right clothes. We've got to look the part. We've got to start talking with the these and nows. And we've got to get our King James language down or God's not going to be able to hear us, right? It's all about what we look like and the appearance that we, that we portray before we can get God to accept us. We've got to fit that image. And God forbid that you show up to the house of the Lord or in front of him, a broken mess. Right? I had a friend that I was talking to about the Lord years ago. And 
And he said, well, what does God think about my drinking? And I said, I don't, I don't think that God is really thinking about your drinking. I think that God is really thinking about you. And if, if you ever come to him, he might talk to you about, about the drinking. But he's more concerned about you. And if you've been around Shiloh any length of time, you've heard us say that you don't get good to get to God. You get God to get good. Again, two different approaches, two different trees. So whereas this tree always focuses on the external, this is a favorite for religious people. Because religious people, they can only see the external. They can only see and judge you based off of what is on the outside because they can't, they can't see the heart. And they love to do that and shame you for what's going on on the outside. Whereas Jesus, the tree of life approach, focuses on the internal. Focuses on the internal. And this is the biggest difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Where the Old Testament, God delivered his, his, his commandments on tablets. You know, think of the Ten Commandments. You know, they're in stone there. And, and the people felt like they had to memorize those and, uh, and, and live their life you know, verse by verse. But Jesus comes in the New Testament and says, I'm going to write those on the tables of your heart because it doesn't matter what's on the outside. It's on the inside, and that's what counts. We see in 1 Samuel, it says, The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The fourth difference that we see between these two approaches and these two trees is that in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, through this approach, if you're living in this tree Sometimes you have the sense that you have to obey God out of a sense of duty. And this is where it's like, oh, Lord, it's just, let's, it's Sunday again. Let's go, to, let's go to church because, I, you know, I really don't want to, but I feel like I, I have to. I've got to check that box again. I've got to make sure that I'm, you know, doing what I feel like I have to do. And, uh, you know, I, I just don't want to go to hell, so I'm going to serve you, I guess. Here we go. Lord, I don't want to... You know, I, I don't want to give to you. You know, I don't want to put my money in the offering because, you know, I, I see what you've done to my, my family and blessed us, and, you know, that doesn't matter. I just feel like I have to, or I feel like I'm going to be punished if I don't. It's that sense of duty. Whereas the tree of life says, no, I'm going to obey out of delight. I'm going to obey because I want to. And I know, I know personally how good that God has been to me and my family. I can't, you know, there's not enough time for me to sit up here and, and go through all the blessings. So I, I don't serve him out of some sense of duty because I feel like I have to. I'm like, God, wow, you, you just keep piling blessings on my family. And I, I don't, I just can't outgive you. So uh, here, I mean, it, take, it, take it back. It's yours anyway. And it, it's a different sense. It, that's out of joy. You know, I can't wait. To, to bless because I know how much I've been blessed and I truly mean that. And when I when I was a kid, I heard an old preachers say, and this, this you know you have those those core memories sometimes that just stick in your mind. And this one preacher, we were having a conversation with uh, some people after church one day, and and he said, well, he was talking about the hardships and the burden of his ministry, and he said, well, bless God, I'm just suffering for the gospel's sake. Oh, I just am. Such a hard time just suffering for the, for the gospel's sake. And he had this, such a sense of regret tied to that statement. 
And I thought, man, do you, do you know the places that you've been to and, and what you've been able to be a part of and how much God has done for you? Well, you know, like right now, even here, I'm like, Lord, you took this, this little awkward teenager and with not an ounce of rhythm in his body, and I promise you that, and I get to come up here and I get to play and direct music and, and lift up a joyful noise and communicate your word to, to people. God, thank you for picking me. Thank you that I get to do this. It's out of delight. And it's that sense of, uh, God, I don't have to, but I get to. And this is a pleasure, and thank you for the opportunity. 1 John 5 says this, This is love for God to obey his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. So it begs the question then, well, Chris, how do we get there? If we've been living in this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and we've been taking this approach to God our whole life, how do we get over to that other tree and start taking that tree of life approach? So I'm going to give you three things that will help you do that. And the first being this, just fall in love with Jesus. And it sounds simple. And you say, well, Chris, how do we do that? You do that by, by thinking about who he is and what he's done. John 14 says this, If you love me, you will obey what I command. Now, look at that verse. My whole life, I had read that verse from the wrong tree and with the wrong approach. And if you do that, this is the way that it reads. It reads, if you love me, then prove it by doing what I've commanded. And that's not the way that it should be read at all. That's not, this isn't some power play where God is trying to manipulate us into loving him. If you read it from the right approach, it's, if you love me, then you can't help but follow my commandments. It's just going to happen. Obeying his commandments is just going to be a byproduct of that love relationship that you have with him. You can obey the commands of God better by falling in love with him because when you do that, it compels you to do right. We see in 2 Corinthians this. It simply says, for Christ's love compels us. It motivates you. It drives you to want to do and to be better and and to live your life according to those commandments. Second thing is responding to sin with life. Why? Because sin is not going away, unfortunately. I'm going to sin. You're going to sin. It's going to happen. And how we respond to our own sin or to the sin of others when that affects us is going to be very telling about what tree that we're living in and what approach that we're taking to God. So when you sin, do you run to God or do you run from God like Adam and Eve did? Is it shame or is it repentance? And you've heard Pastor mention the famous saying of uh, uh, Charles Spurgeon, if you repay evil for good, that's devil-like. If you repay good for good, that's human-like. But to repay good for evil is godlike. And we have to ask ourselves, how does God respond to us when that happens? And we see this in John 3.17. This is the message translation, and I love this. It says, God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son 
merely to point an accusing finger. And how many times has that happened? Telling the world how bad it was. But he came to help and to put the world right again. And I like to think of it this way, is that Jesus, Jesus came to set you free and not make you sorry. He came to set you free and not make you sorry. And the last thing, number three, guard my heart from going back. Going back to what? It's going back to that, that old tree, that old approach. Because the truth is, is that, that your, your sinful, carnal human nature is always going to want to cause you to, to find this vine that connects these two trees and swing back over. You know, you're living your life good in the tree of life and everything is, is working out. And, and then, boom, something happens and the world hits you in the face. And you're like, oh, that. You know, somebody says something to you and you just want to chew their head off. And you find yourself creeping back into that old tree and the, that old approach. So you have to guard your heart to keep yourself in that tree. But the truth is, is that once you have lived your life out of that tree of life approach, and you have a, a, a correct perspective of God, and you have completely stripped away all of those religious ideas, and that, that feeling that, that you have to do, and, and that idea that it matters on the external, and that matters to God. Once you strip all of that away you'll find that you will never be satisfied with the alternative. Nothing will ever satisfy you once you've lived in that correct approach to God and in that tree of life. 1 John 5 says this. He says, He who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. So we're talking about these wrong trees and what church looks like through these different approaches. And, you know, we, you know, living our life out of the wrong tree, as I've said, has led to this, this very religious spirit that attaches a lot of unnecessaries to your relationship with God. And in my mind, the most tragic thing that this wrong approach does is that it overcomplicates the very simple act of salvation and finding life and freedom in God. So see, remember, that wrong approach would have you believe that, that you have to check so many boxes, you have to do, 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 you have to look a certain way, when in reality it's a free gift. And God gives, gives us those two trees. He gave Adam and Eve the, those two trees to represent those two approaches and that choice. And then later on in the New Testament, and just as God gave us those two trees in the book of Genesis, I see another setting where God gives us two trees. See, when Jesus was on the cross, he wasn't there by himself. Next to him on both sides, he had... Two thieves. Two thieves that hung on two crosses, or two, two trees, if you will. And each of those crosses also represented two very distinct approaches to Jesus. See, on one side, you had this thief who looked at Jesus and said, You say that you're the Messiah and the Son of God? Then show us. 
Prove it. Prove it by what you can do. Save yourself and save us too. Does that sound familiar? Prove yourself righteous and holy by showing me what you can do. Wrong tree. Wrong approach. But on the other side, you have a thief who looked at the other thief and said, this man didn't do anything. He's blameless. We're guilty. He's not. And he looked at Jesus, and without any works, without doing anything, without a list of things that he had accomplished, or you know, verses he had memorized, or the hours of prayer that he had logged, he simply looked at Jesus and said, Lord, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And Jesus didn't respond to him and say, well, what have you done? What do you look like? He said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And that's the tree, that's the tree that I want to live in. So this brings it full circle, and we have to ask ourselves today, where are we? What tree? Where, how are we approaching God? And you may be here today, and you may be in a camp where you come from a situation where you have experienced some, some pretty traumatic things in church, and you've been on the receiving end of a wagging finger. Or maybe you're here today, and you've never even started that journey for whatever reason. So today is the opportunity that we can fix both of those situations. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to ask everyone to bow your head and close your eyes. I'm going to ask the team to come help out. So whether you have been in a situation where you have endured pain, you have been judged, you have been shamed, or if you're here today for the very first time and you say, you know, Chris, I have never surrendered my life to a loving God. And maybe it's because you didn't think that it was that simple. Maybe it's because you, it's been overcomplicated for you. Well, I'm here to tell you today that, that we have overcomplicated it. So in this moment today, we're not going to ask you to come to the front. We're not going to ask you to to do anything because we can't. This is between you and God. And this is a decision that, that lies solely between you and Him. The only thing I'm going to ask you to do, just as a, as a sign of faith so we can believe with you, if that's you, if you're saying, Chris, I, I want to surrender to this tree of life. I want to make Jesus my Lord and my Savior. If that's you this morning, I'm just going to ask you to just raise your hand as a simple act of faith so that we can believe with you. Amen. Thank you. And again, we're not going to ask anyone to come to the front. We're not going to ask anyone to, to do anything. But we are going to say this prayer together as a family. Because you might be in a situation where you don't know what to say. You might be that thief on the cross where all you can say is, Lord, just remember me. So we're going to, as a family, we're going we're to say this prayer together. So if you will, just repeat after me. Lord Jesus, today I surrender to you. And I ask you to forgive me 
of my sins. And today, I will believe that the price you've paid on the cross is more than enough for the sins I've committed. And today, I will trust you as both Lord and Savior of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give God a clap of praise? Amen. Will you stand with me, church? We're going to go back into a moment of worship. And this song talks about a place of freedom. And I'm here to tell you today that it is only through that approach and that tree of life perspective that that you're going to find true and lasting freedom. So I encourage you to take this moment and just focus on God and allow the Spirit to deal with your heart and digest His Word today. And let's just praise Him this morning.
that a great word about, about the tr two trees? I'm telling you, if you grab a hold of that, it will absolutely change your life. It will. It will change your life. Um, let me talk to you for just a minute. If you raised your hand and you said, I want to begin my walk with Jesus Christ, because we're always about next steps, and we want to lead you, lead you well. And you're, so your next step is, if you, if, if you raised your hand, is, is water baptism. Or if you've been saved, and it's been multiple years since, since you've been saved, and you've never been water baptized. For me, it was nine years, because simply, I was terrified to get in front of people. Terrified. So it took me nine years to overcome that fear to, to be baptized. But I encourage you, your next step is water baptism, because here's what happens. When you raised your hand, it says that all of heaven is erupting in praise, because you went from death to life. I mean, you literally, you stepped out of the grave and you, you stepped into eternal life. And, and so we, we don't know that. We don't know that other than the person that's speaking. But when you go to get baptized and follow in the steps of Jesus Christ, we're going to erupt and praise with you and celebrate you because that's what we do because we are family and welcome to the family, right? Welcome to the family. Also, so I just want to encourage you to do that. You can just fill out a connection card. All you have to do is put your name and number on there, and we'll get you uh, after the first service or after the second service. Either way, but, but we do that the third. Actually, we got two baptisms today after the second service. So if you would, fill out that connection card. We'll get you baptized, and we will celebrate with you. I promise you. Also, today is step three of growth track. So if you've been through step two, don't forget to go step three. And if you're a leader, don't forget to, to go down there with us. And if you've never been through growth track, I just encourage you. We, it starts over every uh, first Sunday of the month. And it's, we go three Sundays. And so basically all we do is we teach you about the church, what we're doing, share our vision with you and we get you plugged in with the church because we are better together right we are better together it's it things never go good when you do things alone and so we want to link arms with you and help pastor you and bring you along because we're going to change Appalachia we're going to change Harlan County we're going to change Bell County we're going to change Claiborne County one heart at a time one soul at a time we're going to take this area back and we can't do that without all of us linking arms because the task is too heavy so I just encourage you to go through growth track also Lastly, is uh, the, the offering. The guys will be at the back door to, to receive that. Also, it's up here. Try to make that easy as possible. You can text that in or, uh, or, or mail that in. And if you're a first-time guest or if you're a student, we don't, no pressure at all. We don't expect anything from you all. This is just for the people that call Shiloh home. And I just want to commend you all for giving because we are making a difference. Guys, listen, 27 salvations in the last three weeks here at Shiloh. Yes. And, and, and we have had multiple baptisms. Like I said, we have two today here and two in Tazewell. So like I said, we are going somewhere and we are changing lives and we are changing this area. And it's all because of all of you all and, and all of us linking together. So let me pray over you and pray for you. Lord, as we come to you, God, we, we thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to, to be here and to worship you and, and to hear your word and share your word, Lord, and, and just to be your hands and feet, God. We thank you, Lord, that as brothers and sisters in Christ, we can come together as a family in unity. God, we thank you for that. I just pray blessings over each and every person here this morning. God, that you would bless their homes, bless their families, bless their careers. Lord, I pray that they would just experience you in a tangible way. If they're driving down the road or, or at home, Lord, they would experience you in a tangible way that would stop them in their tracks and say, God, I, I see you there. I know that you're there. And so I pray blessings upon each and every person here this morning. I pray that you bless this offering, Lord, that it will go out and 
and to continue to multiply and reach this, this area, God, and save the lost, Lord, and heal the broken, Lord, and, and heal the hurting, Lord. And so we pray this and we ask this, Lord, all in your name, in the name of Jesus, in the name above all other names, amen. Guys, if you need prayer for anything, we'll have a prayer team pray with you and over you up here. If not, have a blessed day and a blessed week. We love you all and we'll see you next Sunday.